0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: Having a very wonderful journey through the book of Romans, and during the holidays I've taken off from Romans a little bit because people are coming and going and perhaps they'd like to stay connected. But I didn't just take it off. I really sought the Lord as much as I could to sense where we are as a faith family and what would be good for us to land on, maybe some major decisions we might make individually and thus corporately as we move forward in our walk with the Lord. And I wanted to take us back to something I believe is extremely vital for us, and that is not a place of God's word in our life, but the place of God's word in a person's life. I find that at Christmas time, as we begin to grow in the Lord, some people maybe get a new Bible. And I'm not going to ask you if you raise your hand if you got a new Bible. Or maybe some of you had enough time then to download a Bible app into your phone or tablet or something. But you're ready to get going with the Word of God. And so I wanted to give you some instruction that might be very helpful to you as you now embark on your journey of understanding God's Word for the purpose of knowing the Lord intimately and obeying Him faithfully with an attitude of cheerfulness. So I would really pray that maybe today would be a good time for you to engage that. Now, for some of you that have been saved for a long time, you may not hear a lot of new truth because this passage of Scripture has been read and memorized by you know, millions and millions of people since it's been recorded and then printed way back when the Bible was being printed and now we have today. But on the other hand, I, as I studied for this message, I still was deeply convicted by the Holy Spirit that in my own life, I'm glad for me, if at least there's one person that's going to go back to these truths, I'm reigniting myself, if I could say it that way, by realizing the seriousness of these truths. So let me begin by asking just a simple series of questions for you. And the first one might be, as a person, where would you go if you really wanted to know truth about God, about Christ, about salvation, about the whole Christian thing going on? Where would you really go for that? Would you go to some seminar? Would you go to some seminary? Would you go to a Bible study? Where would you go for that? And I'm sure those are nice things that might be out there to help you as facilitators to you but you already know the answer. If you really want to know what God has to say about how to go to heaven, you've got to cut through all of that and remember we go back to the Word of God and we learn how to have eternal life through the Word of God. In fact, even Jesus said that a couple of times and he used it as an illustration. Back in John, there was a group of Christian leaders. They themselves were questioning who Christ was. Was Christ the Messiah? Was he the Savior? He's claiming to be the Son of God. He can't be any of that. He's really not. So they began to really oppress Christ. And so Christ gave him a series of witnesses indicating that he was who he claimed to be. The last in the list of John 5 was the witness of the word of God, knowing that if they wanted to be saved, they wanted to have eternal life since forgiven. The truth of that was found in scripture. And it's interesting how it says this in verse 39 of chapter 5. It says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Now, part of that is really true. If you go into the Word of God, you can read Scripture, because in the Scriptures you will find what salvation is and how to be rightly saved, rightly have your sins forgiven in a home in heaven. If you need more about that, you can study the Gideon ministry, who often they pass around tons of Bibles, and many of the people that have come to faith just open up the Bible, and as they began to read through it, God led them through the Spirit of God to the passages of Scripture that clearly define salvation being by faith alone. And if that wasn't enough, the Gideon people, they printed the Bibles. They didn't write the Bibles. They took the written word and they just published it into a fashion of different colors and all of that. They have in the back verses you can look at to know how you can be saved. So the word of God has done that. But the rest of the verse, he says this. It is these, the scriptures, that testify about me. So if you really want to know the Lord, I can give you the messages, but I encourage you to open up your Bible, particularly the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and begin to read that as your beginning stages of knowing who Christ is at least most of his performance on this earth but as you read all of scripture you're going to see a surround sound and technicolor with progressive revelation all the way through to the time when we're going to see what he's going to do when he comes back again which is the most dramatic thing you will ever experience there's no movie, there's no book there's nothing that you could ever see to see what God is going to do through Christ when he comes back again now significant that is so here's my second question my second question is where would I go if I want to grow in my Christian life? Where where would I find? Now, we understand the value of being around churches and small groups and maybe people that might disciple you. All of those are earthly, God-given, God-ordained, in a sense, God-commanded vehicles. But all of those is to push you in the direction of getting into God's Word and begin to read it and study it for yourself. And if you do that, you'll find that you will then grow in maturity. So we find in Scripture we are saved in Scripture Finding out about Christ. We grow in maturity as a newborn babe desires the sincere milk of the Word. If we desire it with a heart turned toward the Word, a, a heart turned away from the things that will cloud us from the Word, we then will grow thereby the Word of God. I can remember when I was first a young person. Maybe this might identify with some of you younger ones. I grew up in a home where we never had a Bible. We never said grace. We never did any of that. I had a dad who believed in God, and he believed in hell, and he believed in heaven, and he thought that good boys go to heaven and bad boys go to hell. So dad would say, Stan, if you're a good boy, you'll go to heaven. But if you're a bad boy, you'll go to hell. And then he'd quickly say, but Stan, you're a bad boy. So I'm not dumb. I knew where I was going was going to hell. So I had an early fear of hell, although my dad had it wrong because good boys don't go to heaven and bad boys don't go to hell. We're all bad. We're all going to hell. That's why we need Jesus Christ as our Savior. But I do know that that kept me out of a lot of problems, fearing death and fearing hell. But nothing so much as when God chose to use a wave and an improper surfer to cut me off on a wave where I then plunged and it was at that time because when you're 16, 15, 16 and you're out there you think you're invincible and I thought I was pretty invincible until that wipeout and uh, it was a very serious one I, I lost my front teeth these aren't mine that's another story but the, form, the, whole, the whole thing was I then cried out oh God whatever it takes for me to go to heaven would you reveal this to me Well, again, what God did is he brought a high school girl into my life, not boyfriend, girlfriend. She was Christian. I wasn't. She was going to a meeting. She invited me, loaded her car with people. I became one of those in one of the car loads that she had. I went to that meeting, and that night, here it is, the core of the meeting is not about Stan Ponson and how he got saved. The core of this illustration is that up in the front was a man who stood before a room of four or 500 teenagers late at night, 10.30, on a Thursday night, and he opened Scripture... And he began to show us through God's word that this is God's mind on paper. And then he quickly brought us to the point of how that we're all sinners and our good works don't get us to heaven. And by faith alone in Christ, we could have everlasting life. The core of that story is this man knew the value of opening up God's word. If we get into God's word, that will help us to know how to have eternal life. And we were shown God's word. But that wasn't enough because God combined it with the young lady who invited me out. Because afterwards, she quickly got up and began to quiz me to see if I understood what that man was saying. So it wasn't just a blast of truth. It was pinpointed, rifle shot right at me like a sniper of truth. And so she began to quiz me to find out that I was a little foggy still after hearing a very clear and accurate message. So she opened up her Bible. I'll never forget this Bible. It was kind of a girly Bible, girly in the sense. It was all white. I haven't seen very many all-white Bibles any longer. And so she had this all-white Bible, but when I opened it, I could tell that it wasn't a brand new one with gold leaf on the outside. It was well-worn, well-marked up. So I knew somehow this woman put a lot of time into the Word. And then she very carefully had my eyes looked down at Scripture, and by looking at Scripture, I then read that God so loved the world, me, that he gave his only son, Jesus, that if I would believe in him, not behave and believe, not behave, just believe in him, I wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. And I heard what it really meant to be, quote, born again. And that night I trusted Christ. Again, the core of the story isn't the girl, isn't me. The core of that story is the truth of salvation is wrapped up in God's word. Well, the good news is somehow the Lord miraculously in his great love for me had that gal become my wife of almost 46 years. So I thank the Lord for that. But that too is not the end of the story. Remember, I grew up with no Bible, no nothing. This happened in November. December, I got my very first Bible ever. The only Bible we've ever had in our house growing up was the Bible that Carol gave to me. Why am I telling you that story? If there is spiritual growth in my life, and I really believe there has been over the last almost 50 years, the result of that is that I got a Bible, and my insatiable appetite for God's Word drove me to the Word of God, and as I read it, it didn't. It, it could have choked me because there's more information than I'll ever understand, but in God's Word, what it did is it gave me this thirst for more and more and more and more, so much that I would read it almost all the time, and my mom and dad forbid me to read it, so when they would go to bed and I would go to bed, I literally did what you see in a lot of little kids' shows, as I got under the 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 covers with a flashlight, and I would read the Word. I'd read it in the morning. I'd read it when i go to sleep at night. And I have to tell you, the Word of God began to really change my life and to help me to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. Now, remember, he used vehicles, buildings, people, a person. He even used, so to speak, a published book. But it was the inspired, sufficient Word of God that changed my life forever. In fact, when I read Psalm 1, which I believe was probably the second passage of Scripture that I memorized, I memorized one in the New Testament knowing that I would be like Christ when He came back again. This particular passage I memorized over and over again that it's very hard for me to even quote the verse in a New American that I use so often because I memorized it in King James. How many of you have been there before done that? You know, you get all a little sideways. But I will tell you that by memorizing that passage of Scripture that we're going to cover today, that passage gave me the warning as well as the blessing of what it means to get into God's word, stay in God's word, and allow God's word to change me. It's that passage that so affected me that it's what motivates me in the middle of the night to get up and grab the Bible. It's when I am down and I'm discouraged and I have a problem. I've got to get away from people, grab a chair somewhere, go alone, get open my Bible, and just let God speak to me. I don't hear a voice, but I just open up his word. It's what gets me up in the morning to come to the office and I throw this out on my desk with a cup of coffee and I'm reading it and I'm so convicted that I journalize it, I fall on my knees and I pray and then I think of how my life needs to be redirected by the word. Now that is not because I'm special. What I'm telling you is that you are hearing and looking at a very needy man, a very needy husband, a very needy father and a very needy pastor right now. But I can tell you that the Lord's word is what has preserved me all these years and kept me on track. And if I could leave you with one truth as you head into the new year, and that is I want to show you the value of God's word as well as the cautions of not being in it, and then at the same time, hopefully, through something I would say and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit especially, you would be so motivated that you would begin to readjust your schedule you'll get out your ICAL, you'd get out the things that you're doing, you'd lay aside your list, and that you would fall in love with the Word and that this Word would be the priority of your life. Now, I value devotionals. We publish devotionals. We send them all over the world. They're really great, but the Bible is on top of the devotional, not the devotional on top of the Bible. So I really want to get you into God's Word. So Psalm 1 is where we're going to go today for our study, and I hope it's a blessing for you like it was for me. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 1. We're going to go through all six verses. We might kind of jump around a little bit in Scripture to to show you some companion verses to it but I hope that you would have it. Moms and dads I would encourage you to have your kids memorize Psalm 1 through 6 the whole Psalm. If uh, that's a big bite of their apple you might do a, a verse a day in six days you'll have it done in a week. If that's still too big of a bite of the apple I suggest that you have them at least do the first three verses and begin on that and I would never have you do that unless you memorize it yourself. Amen? Amen. So we have to have it for ourselves. This particular passage of Scripture, maybe in your Bible at the top, it says the contrast between righteous people and wicked people. And for those of you that are so new on your journey, those are words you don't hear. When of you really heard about a righteous person. You might hear, he's a good guy. She's a good gal. But I'm talking about righteous, really righteous. And who ever uses the word wicked any longer, unless you're one of these real weird type of people that point a lot of fingers at others. And that's, that's good. I would like, though, to maybe change the title a little bit. I'm going to keep it with the contrast, and I'm going to show you how we're going to flow this, and there's different ways you can contrast this passage. But I want to talk about the contrast between the practice of worldly people, people of the world, a secular mind view, with word people, people that have embraced the value of God's word, that want to know it, And to live it, so you have worldly people that have the thinking of the world that would be outside the scope of accurate biblicalness. All right, to the word people, so we're going to look at the practice of them, how they act, and you're going to see the difference of them. And then I want to show you an end, and hopefully a little bit more positive. I want to show you the promise that God gives. To those who are worldly-minded, and the promise that God gives to those who are word-minded. So we're going to talk about worldly, and we're going to talk about word. Worldly, again, would still be wicked, and word would still be righteous. But in the context here, to help you maybe see this, I'm using the term worldly. So let's look at the contrasting practice between the worldly person And the word person. Now, if this is um, your Bible, I open it up to Psalm 1. If you have that there, you may use the notes that's in front of you. If you have one of your your tablets or phones, you can open that up as well. But I'm going to kind of chop it up a little bit differently so you can see how well this flows in these two different sides of an outline. So the first is we're going to talk about the worldly person. The worldly person. Here it says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or the worldly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers here. So we're going to describe for just a moment the practice of what we call a worldly person. The first part of it says here, and I like this because it really speaks to us, it says he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. So he walks not in the counsel of the wicked person. I'd like you to look at this outline because you're going to see a progression. So I'm going to go through it very rapidly. You guys that are working the screen for the folks, you kind of go through it quickly with me for a moment. Walks... Not in the counsel of the wicked, stands in the paths of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scornful. You're going to see a progression between walk, stand, and sit. There's some of a a, uh, digression here between wicked, sinner, and scoffer, but not as much. The wicked and the sinner and the scoffer are like first base, second base, third base in the lives of worldly people descriptions. They're all in the same baseball field. They're all in the same baseball field. They're just a little different, but they're still under worldly. So you have the wicked, you have the sinner, you have the scoffer. But it's talking about a blessed man does not walk, does not stand, does not sit in these particular arenas with the worldly person. So what does a worldly person do? They walk around with the count, in the council of the people who are wicked. Now, let's talk about that for just a moment. The word counsel there is used different times in scripture. In fact, even David uses the word counselor when he says the word of God is my counselor. And then he refers to Christ being the counselor, the wonderful counselor. Isaiah does that. So we are going to talk about advice. There's advice. Some people would use the word opinions. Some people might lighten it, even call it comments. I do not believe the mind of God can be reduced merely to a comment or to an opinion. Advice is good, truths would be better. And so here it's talking about that this kind of person who is of the world is one who walks around with those people who will give them a lot of advice. Now, the big question we don't see in this passage is, did they purposely choose to walk with them for advice? It just says that they walk around with them in the advice that's given. Now, here's a choice we're going to have to make. Are we going to fall on the, the side of the righteous person or the word person? Or will we roll in the direction of the wicked or the worldly person? And so now we're looking here at this stage when it talks about someone who is in the council of the ungodly. Now, here's a question you have to ask yourself. Do you find yourself around information that is given to you that is not word-based. Now, I don't mean mathematics and science, but I'm talking about the philosophy behind all of that, the character of the world system that might be feeding your mind in such a way that is now drawing you away from your intimacy with the Lord, that is now fueling your thinking or causing you to begin to either doubt what you're believing or putting you in a position that you may begin to doubt what you're doing, so you're walking around listening to the counsel of the ungodly. Now, when I look at counsel, you could hear a lot of ungodly philosophy just by watching television almost at any time, any place, especially talk television. You can go to almost any movie and behind all the movie plots... And what is being said and done is going to be a worldly mindset and they're trying to make sense of this worldly mindset and try to overcome whatever worldly problems might be there. And now we who watch this could easily become infected and affected by it. Perhaps it might be good for us to think in terms of worldly, that would be without God, a secular mindset, that would either be non-God or anti-God. Those are important phrases. They're either non-God, he's not getting the glory, or they're anti-God, which is absolutely he's not getting the glory. Can, can that be affecting you? Now remember what we're saying, two things. One is there are choices we make that we don't have to purposely put ourselves under this to be able to do this. Secondly, there are times that you can't get away from it. My time, sometimes I think when I go shopping with Carol and you go into some of these shops and these different departments and some of these big department stores, they're playing this wild music. How many know what I mean? They're playing this music, You got these videos flashing all around you um, and all of that. If you worked in a place like that, you have a question to ask yourself. This verse doesn't change. Is that affecting you? Can you do something about that? Can you go prepared before you go to work? Can you clean your mind when you get home from work? Can you abide in his word in some measure that somehow you're going to try to block that out? All at the same time knowing that you are around infectious material that is deadly for those who are not doing what you're doing to put on your spiritual armor. That's all we're saying. There's the choices that we make and there's some things you just can't get away from it. It's just there. So you have to be prepared for that. So here it says, those that walk in the council. Now when I'm walking with someone, generally I'm walking, I don't often have a very deep conversation with them. Sometimes because I'm out of breath, other times because a walk is something that's temporary, you don't walk a long time. Now I'm not talking about some of you that are your mall walkers, but there may be some of you that are just walking. You kind of come in purview of that person for a moment, so you kind of walk there, that's it. Notice it goes to the word stand. Now, when I'm standing with someone, and you'll see me on the lanai, you might see me up in the offices, when I'm standing with someone, not just walking up the stairs with them, I'm going to have a little bit deeper conversation with them. We are now looking at each other. We want to make sure that our walking and our, our motion and movement, that there won't be distractions coming in, so we can really drill down into what we're talking about in most cases. So we're now standing in that. And so here it talks about stand in the paths of sinners now the paths there would be the lifestyle the way the way they live etc not just where they're going here on the island it's their kind of where they're going in life based on the choices that they're making I am now standing, and I'm getting into a deeper conversation, hopefully, to help them understand where I'm coming from as a Christian. But in this case, it says the ungodly are doing this. The godly stays away from that kind of stuff. And so they're now engaging to probably want to understand more deeply what that counsel was, so they're standing in that path. Then it moves to the idea of sitting. Now, when I have a conversation with someone, and I often do, um, when I'm talking about very meaningful conversations... I don't want to do it merely walking. I might be walking to say, you know, we need to get together sometime. How about giving me a call? Shoot me an email. I'll do that. Sometimes I'll stand with here and i got a little bit more information and I don't want to get away from it, so i got to tell you, we do need to talk. Can we do this? It's a little bit more important. But when we're actually ready to discuss a matter, a topic you bring to me, I bring to you, a topic that we need to discuss together, could be about anything, when we're seated there, we are fully engaged. And so in this situation, it says the... Word-minded person will not walk, stand, or sit in the environment of people that are giving them a worldly lifestyle. Now, if you want to in your margin, it's not going to be up on the screen. As I was reviewing this again in my quiet time, this was already printed. I got something else that might help you with pegs on this. And you know I like to give you little pegs. So right next to the phrase where it says, walks not on the counsel of the ungodly, these people are going to give you counsels to write the word "counsel." stands in the path of sinners, put the word character. Usually these people are going to have a particular character trait and you're really defining and understanding their character trait. So you stand around those people. That's their character. The path is their character. It's not like a one-time deal. It's a path. It's not a step. It's not a stone. It's a path. So it's their character. And then it says, sits in the seat of the scornful. Then it talks about a company of people. Sit in the seat of the scoffers, So here it's referring to plurality. So involving all of this would be counsel, character, and a company of these people. It's not just going to be one or two that you encounter once in a while. It's going to be a company of them all. And then it's also going to be a communication. Where now you often are sharing, and I'm not talking about the godly trying to reach the ungodly. We're talking about those that are now seated and beginning to own this kind of philosophy. Now how do I know that? The context speaks to that. So you're not engaging for the purpose of pointing them to Christ. You're engaging so that you together can have things in common. That would be fellowship with them, not fellowship with Christ, but fellowship with them. So the worldly person is very much like that. Then it talks about, the, but the word person. Let's go to the second one. The word person. How is he? Well, obviously, he doesn't walk, stand, or sit with those kinds of people. All right? Then verse 2 says, but his, the word-minded person, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law, he meditates day and night. If you don't mind for just a moment, I want to go back to verse 1 and go back to verse 2 and just emphasize a couple of phrases. Watch very carefully because I'm going to build something here. Here it says how blessed is the person who does not walk. Underline the phrase does not walk. doesn't say sometimes doesn't walk. It does not walk. And blessed doesn't means far more than just happy. Blessed means far more than just that you have everything going your way. Blessed is this inner sense of peace, this inner sense of joy, this inner sense of intimacy, this inner sense of well-being. In Hawaii, we would say this is a sense of place. Well, here with Christianity, it's a sense of personhood with God, and you're well-connected to Him, and you're experiencing His closeness. This blessed man does not do this. But now verse 2, it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Underlying the word but there, because this is an incredible, incredible contrast And so let me speak to you for just a moment about contrasts in our life. The Lord really sets us up in Scripture, oftentimes in Scripture.
0: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible.